Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh oh, uh oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Today's episode with hard to believe head coach of the Oregon State Beavers heading into his eighth season. That's why I say it's hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday. He took the jump from Missoula to Corvallis, Coach Wayne Tinkle. Coach, thanks for joining. How is life in Corvallis right now? Things are good. Good, good to, great to be with you, Dan. And uh, things are good here. Uh, you know, we're a couple weeks into practice. There's that fall feeling in the air with with football going now and all the other fall sports. And we're on the hard court, so we're we're happy to uh, you know be putting uh, kind of the the books are the stories, I guess you could say, of last year's season to bed and now moving on to the new year. So we're thrilled. Well, we'll get into last year's magical run a little bit as well as the outlook for this upcoming season. But Oregon State football has gotten off to a tremendous start. And I've talked to a number of coaches that say the mood and the energy around campus in regards to all sports really picks up when football is going well. Have you seen that same thing? Oh, without a doubt. Um, Jonathan Smith and his staff have done an incredible job. Uh, their players are giving them everything they've got. And it's just, you know, I, I think it's a combination of kids being on campus again, but then even uh, off campus throughout our, you know, our, our fan base and donor group, there's just a, a thrill. And, and that's the way it is, I think, across America when football is having success. Obviously, it's the engine that drives uh, everything for the rest of us but uh, brings a great vibe, and we're certainly feeling that throughout Beaver Nation. Let's go back a little bit to, to last season. Um, you guys were p- picked dead last in uh, the preseason polls, but when you and I spoke before a broadcast last year, you really liked your team. You felt you had a lot of great pieces. You didn't know how they would come together, and then you had some COVID uh, pauses as well as some injuries kind of in that early middle part of the season. How do you as a coach or how did you as a coach keep telling your team we're going to be okay, believe in us, believe in our system, uh, because that can be difficult challenge. For sure. Well, you know, it starts with we, we had, I think, some guys with high integrity, great character. Um, we had been through a lot. If you look back to well, through the last 18 months with social justice issues, obviously the pandemic, uh, it really gave us an opportunity to come together in a way. Maybe most years you don't. Uh, a lot of times 
you learn through adverse, adversity, like injury or some tough losses. So we, we were a close knit group, but um, probably midway through conference, we had learned enough lessons. You know, we had guys wanting to do it kind of their way, maybe not bought into the defensive philosophy. Uh, and, and we finally just drew a line in the sand. I think what it all came down to, Dan, was guys knew there were expectations within, within our locker room, but they didn't know what it took to get to success. And they just thought, well, if we just shoot it, make a bunch of shots, we'll be all right. So we, we kind of said, Hey, let's focus on three things. We had just come off an eight day pause and we got blitzed by Arizona at home and our staff met all day trying to figure out the approach. And, and, and we just kind of took this angle. Let's, let's get our guys to understand if they will just execute our plan, not theirs, play harder than our opponent each night out. Cause that's, you can control and then enjoy each other out on the court. That was something that we were missing. We said, guys, those three things, if we can do them, they'll lead to success. We don't know when it'll equate to wins, but let's judge our success off of just those three things for a little bit. And instantly we turned around. We beat Arizona State. We beat uh, USC at home um, and then got on a little bit of a roll late, um, as, as we all witnessed. So credit to our guys for buying in. It was a tough process. I know there was a time in December, you know, where, you know, I just – I, you know, I had to, you know, really my, my faith, put a lot of faith back into that and just saying, we're doing things the right way. It's going to pay off. And our guys fed off of that. I called that game that you mentioned against Arizona for FS1. And uh, I felt for you (laughs) when, when they got off to that run, I, you know, I don't want to bring back bad memories, but I think it was like 30 to four or 30 to six. And it just seemed as though you mentioned you coming off a COVID pause, everybody was, not in sync and in clicking. Um, you talked about kind of going back and regrouping as a staff. Was there maybe one team member that really kind of took the reins for leadership and said, hey, guys, coaches are doing what they can, but it ultimately is on us to buy in. Was there a guy that stepped up as a leader? Yeah, you know, the the two the two guys that really stood out, and Ethan and, and Zach Reichel had been done a great job. Uh, you know, through a lot of that, but really it was our two sophomores, Gianni Hunt and Jared Lucas. I, I think that injected that enthusiasm and confidence, uh, you know, that guys, we can compete and beat anybody. Uh, Maurice Kalu stepped up, a guy that started for us the first handful of games in the preseason. And then we started to bring him off the bench. He really bought in, uh, was a good voice for us in the locker room. And then Roman Silva kind of stepped up a little bit. Um, and provided some leadership. And what we, what we said down the stretch is when, when we're really good as a staff is when we can just focus on X and O's. When we've got to worry about, you know, what parents are saying or, or you know, the kids that are listening to social media or dealing with anything off the court, we're not nearly as good. So we're like, guys, just let's all vow to, to keep everything in order, buy into the people in the foxhole, not let any outside influences get into our deal. And that'll allow us just to coach and you guys can free your minds up and go play. And, you know, as a great player, when your mind's clear and free and you can just go play and you rely on those fundamentals you've learned from day one and your instincts, you play at a different level. And that's what we finally got our guys to. You hope for that every season doesn't always develop that way, but it certainly did with this group. You guys got on a roll. You were playing really good basketball in the Pac-12 tournament. You knocked off UCLA, and then you're getting ready for the NCAA tournament. And a lot of people 
if they didn't see how you guys truly came together and played well at the end of the year, you guys might have been an afterthought. But you picked it up a notch from there and made a run to the Elite Eight. Is there a memory or two with that Elite Eight run, with being in Indianapolis that stands out to you a few months later as you, you look back? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we had had several moments throughout the year. Another one was the first half of UCLA. We found ourselves down, I think, 16 or 17 at one point, cut it to 10 at half, which was huge. But that win and, and being able to call the guys in, in, in one of the huddles and just saying, guys, we've been here before. When we get off page, this is what happens. Let's pull it together. You know, we said at halftime, we got great shots in the first half. They didn't go in. We're like, let's have the confidence to, to, to knock those down and keep defending. We'll be right back in it. And I think that was our last kind of springboard. Um, then we took care of Oregon and Colorado, like you said. But I think uh, a big a big part of it was, and, and this is no criticism to anybody, when we went to the Tennessee game, which was our first-round game um, at Banker One Fieldhouse, we arrived and they put us into a small practice gym um, where the WNBA team practices. And they said, you're going to have to hold both teams here until we sterilize and clean the locker rooms and the court. And it might be as long as 45 minutes. Well, that brings us well within 60 minutes before tip when we start our, our, our official warmups out on the court. So that time came and went and we said, let's let's just go right here. Let's stick to our routine. So we're in this small gym. I mean, literally a stage on one side. The walls were about four feet from the sidelines and baselines. Um, and our guys didn't skip a beat. And we did our warm ups right there. Um, and, and when they finally let us out, we had some of our guys yell, we're built for this stuff. And so it didn't phase them. You know, a, a lot of teams could have been like, you know, what's going on here? You know, why did they bring us here so early if we don't have access? And uh, it was a credit to our guys for just rolling with it, which they had learned to do through so much, again, in this last year and a half. And I think at that point, our guys kind of said, you know what, we belong here uh, and we're going to try to make it last as long as possible. You know, as a player, sometimes you can feel the confidence and the energy in your team growing. Did you feel that same way as a staff? Like, hey, there's a there's an energy about our guys. There, there's a focus. We see this kind of moving in the right direction and winning a few games. No, certainly. Uh, it started on the defensive end. Our guys, uh, our numbers in the NCAA tournament, uh, we had the best defensive three-point field goal percentage uh, in the entire tournament. Our two-point field goal percentage was second only to Baylor. Um, and, and so by allowing us to get extra possessions, by getting stops, uh, it freed us up offensively. And we shot the best we had all year from three uh, during that run. Um, I, I think we almost, I think we were averaging about nine and a half, close to 10 threes a game uh, until the loss against Houston in the Elite Eight. But we saw it. It allowed us to just sit back and kind of make substitutions and call some plays out of timeouts and dead balls and let our guys play which, um, you know, as a coaching staff is, is what you really hope for. So credit to our guys, um, you know, for really locking in and taking it to a new level um, down the stretch. And that's what you always hope. You're playing your best basketball uh, in March, and, and we've been able to do that by and large most years. As an analyst at the college game, I don't like to, to focus on the negatives maybe that a, a player at that level has. I think at the professional ranks – 
you know, they're paid, they're professional. You can kind of talk about negatives a, a little bit more in regards to their game. But without talking about negatives, I want to talk about a positive of one of your players and I saw tremendous growth in it, and that would have been Jared Lucas. I felt when I watched him early in his career, um, he was frantic at times. But your guys run down the stretch of the season, I saw a completely different player. Do you, do you see the same thing, and has he made more strides in his game? Because I think he can be a difference maker for you guys. Do you agree? I think you're spot on, Dan. Uh, he showed a, an incredible amount of maturity from his freshman to sophomore year. Uh, I've, I've had some players in the past. Ryan Stodiker out of Lake Washington that played for us at Montana was a great shooter. After his freshman year, I had the same talk um, with Jared. I said, you've got to give us a reason to play if you're not hitting shots. So he really worked on his defensive abilities. Uh, he, he said, coach, I, I, I don't want to be taken out the last four minutes of a game anymore. I want to be in there. And I said, well, you got to learn how to defend. You got to keep that ball in front of you uh, in our zone. You got to learn our bumps and coverages. Uh, and, and then also become a great screener and a great passer to the post, because as a shooter, those things are really key. And, and, and he worked on it. He, he went one-on-one -on -one with Trace that whole summer um, back home in L.A. Uh, and really dedicated to getting better on the defensive end. And I think by, by focusing on that for the first time, maybe, maybe ever, instead of, you know, the offensive end, it, it really developed a, a certain maturity in him that continued throughout this spring and into this fall. It's, he and Gianni Hunt both grew by leaps and bounds. Um, and, and has us feeling really, really good about uh, our prospects with, with those two guys kind of leading the charge out front for us this year. You grew up, uh, spent some time in your childhood in Spokane, which I live now. Um, Ferris High School, unfortunately, that, that will be a rival of my kids as they progress through their high school years. But then you go to Montana, you play at Montana, you coach at Montana. A lot of times you get kind of attach some roots and that's your home. You're now eight years into Corvallis and Oregon State. Is Oregon State home now for you? Is this where you want to finish your coaching career? It's certainly starting to feel that way. Um, and, it, and it's odd because um, it, it has gone by really fast. Uh, you know, we, we love where we're at, obviously. Uh, our first few years when we back, went back to Montana, we felt like visitors. Um, we've been back a little bit more recently, um, and, and, and it still feels like, you know, that's such a special place to us. Um, you know, we, we bought some property in North Idaho we hope to build on here before too long. But we, we love Corvallis. We love Oregon State. We love the fact that it's very similar to Montana. It's, it's a college town for sure. There, there's no debating who the home team is, um, and the support has been incredible. Um, it's, a, it's challenging, as we all know. Um, our, our footprint's a little bit different, us in Washington State, than, than the rest of the conference. But we really appreciate the fact that we can do things the right way, um, that, that that's appreciated um, and lauded here at Oregon State. Um, and, and, and that means we can do things our way. You know, there's, there's no pressure to win at all costs, cut corners, whatever it takes. Um, and we've proven, you know, when we've been given time here, um, we've had some really good years. We had the one year after we built a lot of momentum in the NCAA tournament in 2016, where we had uh, a ton of injuries, which took a lot of momentum and really brought on rebuild number two. Uh, we were well into rebuild number one and did great things, but 
um, that, that took a lot of momentum away. But the patience that, that we've been shown and the support, uh, we've done a lot of things that haven't been done in quite some time at OSU. We certainly feel like our roots are planted here now for sure. It sounds like they are planted. I, I know you like to play a little bit of golf. Um, what's, what's your home course down in Corvallis? And because you're so close to Bandon, how, if, how often do you get to get down there? Because that, that is a destination place whenever anybody gets a chance. Yeah, well, my, I based out of Corvallis, the Corvallis Club, uh, which was reach, recently purchased uh, by a businessman from Spokane. He and his, his brother's the GM. Um, they also have roots in Oregon. I also play out of Shadow Hills Country Club, which is down in Junction City. It's kind of the border of the uh, Oregon State, Oregon, you know, whole rivalry deal. Um, and there's there's some ducks down there that I like to go take some money from now and again. But uh, I do get to Bandon. I try to get there once in the spring and once in the fall. I haven't been able to go down there. Well, I guess I did at the end of uh, August, right before Trace went to Italy. He and I went down there for a couple of days. Uh, and it is a treat. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of beavers down there that work at the course. It's always fun to kind of rub elbows with those guys. But uh, golf is something that can really take a lot of, uh, you know, some of the stress away um, from from what we do uh, all the while stay remain competitive, um, although it does bring frustration at times. And, uh, you know, you and I talked a little bit earlier about the importance, especially when what we just went through and are still really in the middle of, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of coaches that were assistants for me that were maybe a little longer in the tooth that uh, didn't have any hobbies away. And, and, and I try to stress how important that is just to keep the batteries charged and fresh so you can keep things in perspective um, and, and golf. It used to be fishing and golf's kind of taken over that. Um, and we certainly enjoy the time when we have it out there. Well, you, you kind of touched on where I wanted to go with with my next question is uh, young coaches. They can get burnt out in a hurry if they're solely focused on just learning their craft and, and looking for opportunities in advancing their craft. You have a young coach on your staff, director of player personnel, Tyler Kopp, who, who I have known since high school. I, I found him to, to be a tremendous young basketball mind. But when you're looking for somebody – who's young trying to get into the coaching profession, what, what advice do you give them? That's a great question because I get emails all the time about, um, you know, guys that were either former players or are maybe senior managers and they want to get a GA spot. Um, really what's, what's important is that you, you trust who they've been around and maybe learned from. Uh, there's a lot of young coaches that are so excited and chomping at the bit uh, to make it big that sometimes they'll compromise what they stand for. Um, we always remind those people not to, not to take those shortcuts. Uh, obviously, it's not, it's not a huge importance that they played collegiately or even at the high school level, but that they've got a good understanding of the game. Um, and, and, and I've had several guys that were four-year managers for me that then grew into our GA position and advanced from there. Um, so, so that's not definite, that's not like a, a must have that they played the game, but they have to have an understanding and then a work ethic that for me, it's, you know, no task should be beneath you or above you. And, uh, I remember the wife of one of my assistants grabbed me one time when I was cleaning up spilt Gatorade at my camp at Montana saying, coach, coach, let somebody else do that. We can't let parents see you do that. And I said, no, no, that's not how we do things here. You see a need, you fill a need. And that's what we want out of some of the young guys that we look at. Um, 
make sure that they're not afraid of any task, um, that they can take, you know, some direction and then run with it. And um, that passion, you can see, you talk, you can read it through their emails sometimes. You get them on the phone and you hear that passion and, and love that they have for the game. And, and that's kind of how we start to weed things out. And uh, we've been fortunate. I know I have uh, our staff that we've had over the years, both Montana here, and we've had some turnover as guys try to move on and, and up the ladder. But um, having great people around you sure makes it that much more enjoyable and, and it allows for that the success to follow. The Pac-12 conference uh, has been up and down over the course of the last 10 years. Some really good years, some down years uh, collectively as a group. But last year was tremendous. Five teams in the Sweet 16, including you guys in the Elite Eight, uh, UCLA in the Final Four. What do you look at when you see this year's upcoming season? I think more of the same. Uh, you know, I think we had 19 wins in the NCAA tournament, the highest amongst any conference last year. Um, you know, USC was another team that made a late run and uh, we lost some incredible players, but we've sure brought in an, another great level of talent to our league. UCLA has virtually everybody back and have added some pieces. Uh, you know, Oregon always every year, they seem to kind of reload. Um, you know, we've got some new and exciting coaches in the conference. So I, I think it's going to be another stellar year. Uh, I know. Uh, even last year, there were there were maybe some tough losses in the non-league, but we built as we went. And I, and I see this being a year where, you know, we could hopefully get seven, eight, because there was some talk about that last year, seven, eight uh, teams in the NCAA tournament. And that's what we're building for. We've really come together as a group the last three or four years to kind of change the direction and really the opinion of the Pac-12 nationwide. Um, and I, I credit, you know, all my colleagues, the conference, obviously, for the work that they've put in to get us to where we're at. Now we just need to keep, keep moving, moving forward. Well, coach, I appreciate the time. I didn't want to keep you too long. Hopefully I kept to the time frame. Love Wish it. you nothing but the best of luck this season. And, and hopefully I do have a couple assignments down in Corvallis to be able to call games for the Beavers. So thanks again for joining. Yeah, it'd be great to get you in person and see you out there again. And uh, I should have mentioned, I took some money from the boys up at Manitou a couple of weeks ago. Old Gordo and Schultz and the boys uh, bought me lunch. So it was a good day. Always awesome. good to be well, with you. Hopefully, buddy. we can get out on the course at some point when uh, when you're back up this way next summer. So uh, appreciate it. it. Best of luck. All right, buddy. Go Beeps. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.